Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, broadcasting live every Thursday, 6 to 8 p.m. Central, from Panama City Beach, Florida, home of the world's most beautiful beaches. I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone for joining me on my weekly broadcast. Every week, I'll feature some of the best instructors, coaches, authors, and entrepreneurs in the golf business today. I begin with a great discussion on Coach's Corner, followed by an insightful interview with my special guest. So let's get started by introducing tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, good evening, everybody, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and we've got a great show for you tonight. As uh, mentioned in the intro, we are going to be starting off here in just a moment Uh, with another great discussion on Coach's Corner, and I'll bring up the guys and introduce them here in just a moment. And then a little bit later on in the show, I'm going to be joined by my very special guests, uh, father and son team, uh, Ian and Gregory Martin. Uh, Both are the uh, CEO and uh, president and co-founders of Quantix Golf. Uh, They're going to be joining me on the second half, and I'm really looking forward to having them on here. Uh, In case you're not familiar, Quantix uh, Golf is a a new golf ball, if you will. It's been out for a little while, um, but it's uh, it's definitely gotten some buzz in the industry, and I'll let them share uh, what some of that is a little bit later on in the show. But I want to thank everybody for tuning me, uh, tuning in this uh, evening. As always, we are live uh, every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on the blogtalkradio.com network, and uh, always excited. So thank you for, for tuning in tonight. Uh, also, don't forget the um, Golf Talk Live is brought to you by iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing top quality programming designed to attract a golfing enthusiast. Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, offering insightful reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top PGA and LPGA teach professionals, all designed to help improve your game from tee to green. So subscribe today, visit golftipsmag.com. All right, as I mentioned, I've got, excuse me, I've got two great uh, guys joining me here on the panel tonight. They've been on many, many times, uh, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about them anyways. Uh, first up is Pete Buchanan. He is the founder and director of instruction and owner of Plain Simple Golf, uh, which of course houses the Plain Simple Golf Circuit and Simple Swing Repeater Training Brace. And uh, he's been teaching golf now for 30 plus years, so he's uh, very knowledgeable in the business. Uh, also is uh, John Hughes, uh, also uh, regular on the show. Uh, he's a PJ Master Professional and the honorary president of the North Florida PJ section. In 2013, he was recognized as a uh, recipient of the PJ of America's Horton Smith Award. And he's also senior editor and Golf Tips Magazine top 25 instructor. Uh, plus, he's part of the Golf Tips advisory staff. So, uh, guys, uh, we're in good hands tonight uh, if you're listening to the program. And, guys, welcome to Coach's Corner. Uh, John and Pete. Thanks, Ted. Yep, thanks, Ted. Good to be here. All right, I appreciate it, guys, as always, uh, giving of your time. And we're going to start out, uh, you know, we were talking a little bit uh, off air, um, you know, really about how fortunate golf has been, um, you know, despite all that's been going on with COVID. And I just wanted to get each of you to to maybe uh, talk about some uh, some things, if you wouldn't mind, um, about how COVID has changed the golf business. There certainly has been uh, some changes that have gone on this season. We've, uh, as I mentioned, we've been very, very fortunate and um, very blessed, uh, unlike many other industries out there who 
were not so. Um, we've been able to keep many of our courses, most of the courses open now, and uh, been able to still get out there and teach some golf uh, just because, uh, well, there wasn't a lot else to do for many folks out there. So golf benefited in many ways um, and uh, certainly don't want to make light of uh, the difficulty many families have gone through, but uh, I think it bears some some examination. So I thought we would just talk about that here to open things up. And uh, if you don't mind, John, I'm going to start with you and then Pete. Just what what are some of the changes that you've noticed as a result of COVID um, that has really helped change the business, uh, do you think? Again, thanks, Ted, for having me on the show. I uh, very much appreciate the opportunity to share my thoughts and I look forward to doing this every second Thursday of the month. Uh, As far as positiveness in the golf business due to COVID, I I think you hit the nail on the head. The big one was most all states left golf courses open for the outdoor part of it, for the park and rec part of it. And the, the game naturally provides a lot of social distancing. There's obvious places where it doesn't, holding a flag stick, sitting in a cart. But it was a, a really good escape that allowed the game to grow. Uh, I think we've seen some people come back to the game. I've certainly seen some new people to the game. And I think it's revitalized some courses that were struggling. Some of the previ information that I get from the PGA and the allied associations is showing just that, that Some of the courses that were on the fringe of making a life-or-death decision have been able to cling on to life a little bit longer, which is another positive. Uh, Instruction for me, uh, uh, instruction for most everybody across the country, up. Uh, There's been a whole lot of positives. I think what we've got to do is learn the lessons of the Great Recession We've got to learn the lessons mm-hmm. of the uh, of the uh, of the tiger era, I guess is the best way of saying it, of when all these people came in and started playing, we didn't do a great job retaining them. So I'm really hoping the po- the biggest positive that comes out of this is that we've learned those lessons and we have some proactive plans to keep the new people in, to keep the renewed people mm-hmm. still interested. And the core golfers who have seen some slight changes to operations, maybe they can feel like they can get back to some normalcy. Yeah, well said, John. Um, And you covered a lot of great points. And and Pete, I think, you know, as John mentioned, um, you know, we were very, very fortunate in this industry to um, most, if not many of the golf courses around the, the nation uh, did remain open. Some obviously uh, had to enforce certain restrictions uh, in more confined areas. And of course, uh, carts uh, had to be uh, changed a little bit differently, how, how we r- r- uh, rode the carts, if you will. Um, so obviously to to help with social distancing and that. But um, there's been a lot of benefits. What were some of the benefits that you've seen yourself? I'm sure some of them will, will mirror what John has said. But what were some of the other things that you've noticed um, just in your business uh, and maybe some of your fellow pros up in your area. Thanks for having me on, John. It's always good to be on with you. You know, I think one of the, the big things, and I'll look at it from just a golf course perspective, um, you know, they've they've become more aware of, of everything they're doing. Everything has to be cleaned. It has to be cleaned a certain way. Um, you know, you have to, to 
put things out so you, you maintain social distance. So I think I think from a club standpoint, they've been made more aware of, of what they're doing. Um, I think it's made them more efficient. I think, um, you know, especially where I'm at, I mean, it's it's as busy as I've ever seen it. Um, and the range is full. The, the, the golf course has a ton of play to it. And, you know, they've had to, they've had to rearrange, you know, what they're doing from a business standpoint, just like you said, uh, to continue mm-hmm. to, you know, not only do business while this is going on, but also with the new set of rules and the new set of circumstances and the social distancing, they've had to figure out a, a new way to operate. And I think for some of them, um, I think it's going to be a, a great benefit because I think they've, they've learned how to adapt. They've learned that they can adapt. Um, they've got more people coming to them. There's, there's, you know, different aspects of, of what they can do. I know, you know, from a, you know, food and beverage standpoint, you know, a lot of that was really shut down and, and not able to, to, to go through and do what they wanted to do. But, you know, overall, I think from just the golf course operation standpoint, um, you know, a lot more play, a lot more revenue. Uh, obviously, they had to do some, some different things in order to keep the carts clean, to keep the distancing right, you know, to make sure, you know, we started off, it was, you know, single carts. And then it was, if you're, if you're related, you could be on a cart together. You know, so going through all those different types of, um, you know, avenues that they had to go through. But I think it's going to make the clubs come out uh, at the end of this much, much stronger than they were before. Yeah, I think so. And and just to go back to, to something that, that John uh, said, and I think you would, would agree with as well. Moving forward, I think really what's going to be important is how does the industry react to um, – you know, so many new people to the game and also people that maybe hadn't played for a little while that have come back to the game uh, again, um, to, you know, to give it uh, another try or maybe it was just because, uh, again, with, with some of the other restrictions out there, there wasn't really a lot of options. Um, they've played before and they thought, you know what, I'm going to come out and at least I know I can, you know, hit the ball around and, and have some fun and, and get out there and play a little bit more. Um, I, I think it's going to be crucial to see how the business reacts moving forward. Um, you know, is this going to be just a, uh, you know, a, a, a spike uh, that happens in 2020 and then when things start to ease back for next year, are we going to see that spike drop somewhat? So it's going to be interesting, guys, to really see how that, uh, uh, you know, how, how those numbers sort of pan out when we look a year down the road or even two years down the road, how many of those new golfers uh, and returning golfers uh, are we going to be able to maintain? So I think there's a lot of, creativity that needs to happen and i think a lot of uh uh you know of our fellow professionals being able to work together and and finding ways to to be more creative uh and and help uh, build off of one another um john one other thing that that um i want to ask you guys as well and i'm going to start with you and i want you to think back to earlier on in your teaching career uh, you know, obviously we can't cover everything, but to, to where you are now, um, how do you think you've evolved with your, in your use of, of both video and or other technology over your career? Well, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> it, I, I, let me, I'm going to, I'm going to pull a phrase out of my master professional thesis to have the general public understand how I view technology and, and to paraphrase it, and I wrote this almost 20 years ago. I said that 
video had gotten to the point uh, in 2000, 2002, where high speed was just coming of age. The clarity of it was good enough where you could really get some great information out of it. And because it's two-dimensional, it still was very much an x-ray as compared to, say, an mm-hmm. orthopedic. If Pete or I or you had a broken arm, it was sort of dangling like Rodney Dangerfields and Caddyshack. And we say, hey, the arm's broken. What are you going to do? You're going to go get an x-ray done. And it's two-dimensional. You circle what's broken, and, hey, let's go fix it. As time's gone on, and I actually predicted this in my in my thesis, was that radar technology, optimal other optic technology would become our MRI. And that's been mm-hmm. the philosophy I've used from the get-go. When I use FlightScope, it is my MRI. It provides me the three-dimensional opportunity to see what my clients are doing with their swing. And what that swing is doing to the golf ball is a cause and effect relationship. The evolution of that, I think, as technology has advanced, and I grew up in a household that had one of the original IBM PCs off the assembly line, uh, so I've always been around technology. I've never been scared of it. And because of that, I feel like, hey, as technology's evolved, I've been willing to evolve with it. I think the mm-hmm. real thing that we face, and these are just scientific facts, in the past 20 to 30 years, scientifically from a technology standpoint of view, we've advanced faster in 30 years than we did in the previous two or 300 years. And because of that, Mm -hmm. there's a tremendous amount of education that has to go along with that. And the education has got to be consumed, swallowed, digested, and regurgitated much, much faster. And I think that's what separates the people in our industry that use technology and use it well. They've been able to to take it and simplify it for their clientele, and that's certainly the objective I live with daily. It's not about pulling things apart and trying to put it back together for somebody. It's about literally circling the x-ray and saying, here's where you're broken. Here's the MRI saying Mm -hmm. soft tissues explaining this, that, and the other. Here's the plan. Let's go get it fixed. Now let's go get it fixed. And what that does for the student, the client, is reaffirms their confidence in who their coach is, number one. But I think more importantly, now there's objectivity to someone's improvement process. It's no longer just an opinion. It's somewhat scientifically based. There's various ways to go about the improvement from drill standpoint of view, Pete may give a drill for something that I may give something a totally different drill, but it's going to achieve the same thing. And that's mm-hmm. the other thing that technology has allowed us to do is, is to confirm that some of the age old drills going back hundreds of years, there's really good affirmation of those to have someone play better, have someone's skills improve, have someone play smarter. I think that's really how I've looked at technology in relation to my coaching practice. And I think clientele, students have to look at it as it's not the panacea. It is the objective data you're going to need to put together an improvement program that's apropos to you and you only because that that data is going to differ. 
from student to student. Yeah, and that's, you know, there, there's a lot of information obviously to unpack over the last 20 or 30 years, and you're exactly right in your analogy, John, uh, as far as how things are processed today. You know, 20, 30 years ago, uh, you know, computers, as an example, uh, would fill up a, a, a small warehouse, sometimes a big warehouse, depending on what it is. Uh, now with, with advancements in microprocessors and so forth, um, we're able to extrapolate a lot of data um, with a very small, uh, you know, whether it be an iPhone or a tablet or what have you, um, which is much more sophisticated. And the technology has allowed us uh, to be able to get the information we need in real time very quickly and then be able to um, sift through the imagery and, and, uh, and much of the other uh, technology at such a fast pace that literally, again, in real time, we're able to uh, discern some of the, uh, the measures that we may need to take with our various students. So, Pete, what about you as well? I know we've all used video and we've all been exposed to many of the other uh, technology that's out there. And there's some other things that you're using as well. Um, explain a little bit about where things have evolved for you, where maybe you might have been, uh, say, a few years back to where you are now, and how has that influenced your career? Well, I think fortunately for me from the beginning, you know, I was early, early in my career, I, I spent a lot of time with John Jacobs himself, so I learned ball flight cause and effect from the flight of the golf ball very, very early. And so I think the technology as it advanced – only reaffirms what I was taught many years ago. Now, granted, you've got, you know, these devices now that can, that can pinpoint things much more clearly. Um, but I think from an overall standpoint for me, having that background to begin with, it still gave me the ability to do the corrections despite what the advancement in technology is showing me. Um, so I still, you know, go through the same types of things today that, uh, you know, I went through, um, you know, 20, 30 years ago, um, you know, video has been, you know, a, a huge uh, a deal and it, it's so much more efficient now. I, you know, I was doing, uh, people were sending me VHS videotapes of their swings in the mid nineties and I was looking at them mm -hmm. and, you know, voicing over a fix and sending them back. So I've been doing that since about 1995. Well, now it's real easy. I mean, I have, a player send me a video while they're on the range, I can do an analysis and send it right back to them while they're still there. So, I mean, now it's, it's advanced so much further along in those lines. Um, you know, John made a great point with the ball flight monitors. I mean, now you can, you can, you know, look at very detailed aspects of what's going on with the impact. I, I think it's, it's something that, you know, there's a lot of players that really like that stuff. And, um, you know, it's just going to be more affirmation for them to really see what's going on. Um, but I think for me and the, the overall change, I think, you know, I'm, you know, I'm still doing a lot of the things I was doing before. It's just made me more efficient at doing them. Um, it's much easier to get, uh, you know, the things that I've, I've always done and, and, and to make them easier for me to do. So I think from that standpoint, uh, one, I think the technology has, has affirmed what I, what I thought I always knew, um, and was able to look at impacts and then, you know, look at the data that's now being sent out from the, the flight scopes and the track lands and all that. And, and to see that, yeah, you know, that's, that's what I thought it was. Um, haven't seen too many foolers along those lines, but, you know, um, you know, I remember John showing us ball flight foolers before, 
um, you know, to where you would see a ball go a direction and you would think it was one thing and it was totally something opposite, you know, so you know, right. I have to give, you know, big credit to that because he showed me that in, you know, the, the late eighties, I was looking at that stuff and we were looking at ball flight and going, well, that's gotta be this. He says, hold on a minute. Let's look at the whole picture. So I think, you know, mm-hmm. that involvement for me was a little bit, um, I don't think the technology made as huge of a change for me as far as the overall things that I did, because I learned that aspect so well early on, um, just from watching the ball and being able to do the, the, the cause and effect from there. So, you know, looking at swings, I mean, I, I just walking down the range, I can, I can look at the movements and I'll tell you what the ball's going to do. Um, even if I didn't even see it, because certain movements are going to cause certain things to happen. That's just the way it is. I mean, I know we like to say there's a hundred different swings, but there really aren't, you, you know, you just look at the movements that are made and, and certain certain motions are going to cause certain things to happen. And, um, you know, so that's that's definitely something that was, you know, a big bonus at the beginning. But I think, you know, it's just made for me overall, it's, it's made it much, much more efficient. And I think, too, using some of the um, technology today, especially measuring wrist angles. I mean, for me, that's been that's been really cool because, you know, I built a, a device that, you know, is, is looking at how the mm-hmm. wrist angles move and. And that was really an eye opener to to use that and then use it with the the training aid that I built and see it it did exactly what I wanted it to do and so it's making the movements exactly what I thought I uh, I was going to see so you know it's just a lot of affirmation on those lines and and you know it's pretty cool for the people to see it too I mean I you know there's a lot of there's a lot of people out there that really love the technical stuff and then there's some that you know don't even want to go anywhere near it so you know but that's okay right. but I think overall. The technology has been has been really really cool to see, and um, as I said, I it's, I think it's making everybody more efficient uh, at what they're doing and, and more clear and and to the to understanding from not only what you see but being able to relate that back to the participants and and the students that you're working with. Yeah, well said, uh, Pete. And, and you know, you're both exactly right. You know, I think it has um, really enhanced what we really have been taught very early on uh, in our in our teaching careers and it's just reinforcing some of the the methodology and the understanding that we have with um, you know with with ball flight and and uh, and so forth and I think that you know technology put in its as we've said many times on the show when it's put in its proper place um, one point Pete that I want to mention that that you brought up and and it's exactly right is is how the students are able to get real-time information from their instructor, um, literally with, within moments of, of submitting a video or, um, or what have you, uh, they're able to get uh, virtually instant feedback um, from anywhere in the world, which uh, is something that obviously wasn't available 20, 30 years ago. Um, John, I'm going to come back to you. And, and this one here is really um, for some of the newer students out there that are maybe um, you know, a little bit confused. It's sort of a two-part question. Um, and, and maybe if from your perspective, you can give, uh, maybe some tips on first on how to take a lesson and what to look for in instructor. And I don't want you to look at this question from an instructor's point of view. I mean, obviously you're going to answer it from an instructor's point of view. Um, but if you were a student, if, and you were telling, and somebody was telling you this information that you're about to give, um, on both of these uh, this parts of the question. So tips on how to take a lesson and what to look for in an instructor. 
two great questions uh, and a little bit of transparency to the audience. When I was with Golf Digest Schools as a national director of instruction, there were 55 instructors that I would train annually on these two subjects, on these two questions. Um, one of the things I did early in my career, I haven't been able to do it recently, is I'd literally take a dart to a map of the U.S. and throw it from, you know, turned around backwards to the map and just toss it over my shoulder. And wherever that dart happened to have landed, I was going to get a lesson there. And if that required me to get on a plane or a train or whatever, I'd go do it. And the reason for it was I always wanted to understand what it was going to be like to be a student. Because to me, early on, probably more important than anything else. I've been around fantastic coaches for a long, long time, but I was curious about my own coaching. I was curious about what other people did from a coaching standpoint of view. So with all that said, let me talk about it from how to take a lesson. And I would tell you as a possible student of Pete's, Mines, Ted's, whoever, is when you're seeking out help, be open-minded. Uh, the more open-minded you are, the more possibility of opportunity there is. And what I mean by opportunity is maybe if you went in closed-minded with you must do a certain thing a certain way, maybe you're just not going to communicate with that coach very well. Um, a really good coach is going to adapt to how you communicate. But when you're closed-minded about how to fix something potentially, as Pete said, he's got a fantastic device that works on wrist angle. Well, I might come at it from a totally different angle. If you're totally fixated on wrist angle, you're probably not going to listen to me. But will it get you there? You're relying on the coach that you pick, their experience, their expertise, their knowledge. And the more open-minded you are, the better. The second thing I'd recommend to students is don't commit to improvement unless you have the time to improve. And what I mean by that is it's not enough just to take the lesson. Anything mm -hmm. that you do well that becomes habitual is going to require some time. It's going to require time that you go back home and practice at home. You go to your home range or golf facility and practice there. You try ways to implement it on the golf course without keeping score. You do it with circumstantial situations as well. If you're just going for the lesson, we can give you a quick tip, but like any Band-Aid, it's going to fall off when it gets wet. And when your game gets mm -hmm. a little wet, that tip's not going not to work. I know when I give a tip, it's based on a long-term solution based on cause and effect, very much like Pete would do. He was talking about ball flight. Well, mm -hmm. Just like he said, I can see things that are going to happen just based on the movement. I'll give you the tip, mm -hmm. but it's going to be based on, hey, you got to put the time in. From, from the selection of a coach, I will take it from the student standpoint of view, the part two, and that is I'll go back to something I said earlier. Find somebody that you like that you could hang out mm -hmm. with that it would be a great dinner guest or a, or a coffee break guest someone who not necessarily thinks the same as you i hope that you guys don't think the same 
because you're coming in as, in as the student with a little bit less information and expertise than the coach is, but you have some things in common. You have some talking points off the golf course that you have in common. You, you're going about the – you found a coach that is willing to work within your time frame, that, that's willing to work in your long-term solution to your skill improvement. If you're looking at it strictly from price, I hate to say it, but you'll get what you pay for. I don't know of, of too many fantastic golf coaches that are super, super cheap and affordable. They may run something special at some point at some time for a very limited time, but we all have to make a living. And, and the person who is, if you're looking at it strictly from a price standpoint of view, realize that you're not only paying for that person's time, you're paying for their expertise, their experience level, their education level, the the props, the swing aids, the other things that are there. And what it's supposed to be doing for you is making your learning fun. And that's how I would end it up. Will that coach you pick and the improvement you're trying to make, It's the outcome obviously has got to be fun but the process has to be fun too. And that's why you got to pick someone you like, who you can communicate well with, and you're both on a very open-minded page of where your improvement is going to go. Well said. Um, you know, I think it's important on both sides. And one of the really two things, areas, John, that really stuck out for me, and that is is a commitment on behalf of the student. Um you know, we're happy to give you the lessons, but if you're not willing to meet us halfway and make a commitment that you're going to work on these things that we're going to to teach and show you, then you're really not going to get the full benefit from it. So that would be um, that would be first and foremost um, is to make sure that if you're going to come for um, instruction, that you're prepared to make a commitment to say, I'm going to go to the range, uh, even if it's only once a week, and I'm going to make a point of spending quality time uh, with, a, with a well-thought-out plan of attack, if you will, on how I'm going to focus on some of the things that not only he or she has taught you, but also um, what you need to do to get those results. And if you're, in other words, practice with a purpose. And the other thing is, John, that you mentioned, was to have fun. Um, golf, we understand from our side of things, we understand it can be difficult. It's not an easy uh, game to, to sometimes learn, uh, especially for those that uh, maybe haven't played a lot of other sports. It can be difficult if, if you're not uh, typically an athletic person by nature. Um, but I think if you apply yourself and if you're willing to uh, take some of the, the tips, if you will, that John uh, just talked about. And Pete, I'm going to give you a, a moment. I know that there's a lot of stuff in there I'm sure you agree with. If there's anything that you want to add um, in, in, from your standpoint that you like to uh, you know, make sure that your students, when it comes to taking the lesson, how you want them to approach it, and what you would suggest that they look for in an instructor. Yeah, I echo a lot with what John just said. I mean, you know, you, you, you want to seek someone out um, you know, I, I think first and foremost that you're going to get along with. One of the things that I do is, is I have an introductory lesson, and it's just a chance to come and, and 
basically it, it's a little bit of hitting balls, but it's it's a a question and answer session and say, you know, let's let's get together and, and see if we're on the same page, see if we are, you know, we're going to get along. I said, don't take this the wrong way, but, you know, it, it might be, uh, I might be someone that you don't want to take a lesson with, but, you know, let's get together and find out, you know, let's, let's mm-hmm. talk, let's have a, a, a chance to meet. And I think that's something that's, that's really important. I mean, you want to go and have some fun and, and be able to get along. And, you know, one of the things I think that, that I try to do with, with every lesson, with every client is that when they first show up, I ask them, you know, how's your day been? What's going on? It's nothing golf related whatsoever. And a lot of that is to kind of get an idea how they've been doing all day long. And if they've had a rough, really hard day, then, you know, that sort of sets the tone for how everything's going to go. And so I I Mm -hmm. think, you know, just, just getting to know the people a lot more outside of just, an hour lesson or a 30 minute lesson, I think is a huge deal for building relationships down the road and what's going on. But I also think too, with, with a lot of my folks, I have that conversation about, you know, how much practice are you going to do? And depending on how much time you're going to put into it, let's make sure we make that time as efficient as as possible. And let's make sure we're working on the right things as you're going along. And, you know, a lot of times, too, you know, John mentioned drills. You know, I'll give somebody a drill, and then I'll tell them, I said, you know, your next practice session, I want you to do the whole session with this drill. And they kind of look at me like, really? I said, yeah, really. I want you to do an entire practice session with this drill because it's going to make milestone movements to where we're trying to get you to. I mean, all of Mm -hmm. the players that you see on television have done drills. It's all part of the process. Uh, Every sport you've played, there's been drills you've done to get you from – point a to point b and those things are important and so i I think it it gets them an understanding that there's more to it than just going out and just hitting practice balls um it's also getting an understanding of what you're doing why it's happening what the ball is telling you and and that's an important one that i try to get everybody to understand you know every time you hit a shot the ball is telling you what's going on i just have to teach you how to hear it that's an important part because the ball's speaking to you every time you swing, every time you make an impact, whether it gets in the air or not, the impact's telling you something, the ball's telling you something. And so you need to understand how that all works. So I think more for me, it's a, it's really getting them a, a good basic understanding of ball flight cause and effect, because when you're not standing there, they need something to be able to help them along to be able to make some corrections when you're not there. And so that only holds true in, in, you know, the individual time you're spending with them, the time you're not spending with them, but also in those practice sessions, there's a lot of things with drills that they can really learn to really see what's going on with themselves to further that along so that they can, they can get some corrections and, and make it easier for them down the road. So, yeah, I, I, you know, I echo a ton of what John said. I mean, I, you know, about, about taking a lesson and, and who you're looking for. I mean, those things are important but it's also important from our standpoint of who we're looking for. And so, you know, mm-hmm. people that are going to make the commitment and if they're not going to make a big commitment, then we, we really need to do them a favor and let them understand how much improvement there's going to be based on the practice time that they're going to give. And I think that's only fair. And we should, we should let them know that. And um, you know, the more time they put in it, the, the better it's going to get. And I know for me, Sometimes they'll show up ready to go beat some balls. And I say, come on, grab your putter. We're going to the putting green today. And they sort of look at me like, really? Mm-hmm. And then by the time we're done, they're like, boy, this was fantastic. I said, yeah, you never looked at it. There's a full hour practice session over here. You don't need to go beat those balls all the time. Go hit the putting green. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, well said. 
you know, it's amazing when you look at uh, from a student standpoint, um, you know, they, they think that they've got to be doing one thing all the time. And really, you know, we understand where, where they're going to score, where they're going to improve the most. Uh, you know, putting uh, on the putting surface is a great example. And, you know, a lot of times they want to go out there and, and hit balls on the range, you know, uh, entirely for their session, but that may be not the best area that they, you know, need to be working on. And you're right, relationships with students, I mean, you know, in, in our day-to-day lives, you know, we have, um, you know, people at the branch at, our, at a bank that we have dealt with for years that we've gotten to know and we trust. And, you know, if we have questions or concerns, you know, we, we go and consult a financial advisor. And, uh, you know, if we have uh, come tax time, you know, we consult uh, our accountants and, and bookkeepers and so on and so forth. So, you know, and, and those are based on relationships. Um, you know, uh, you know you're, you're asking those individuals to help you with an area that you need improvement with or, or don't have a general understanding about, uh, and you're relying on their expertise. So, it, you know, it's not just about credentials. I mean, those are important as well, but it's also about the, the interpersonal relationships that you developed with these individuals. All right, I want to uh, change something here a little bit, and um, I'm going to be mindful of the time just because uh, we, we've got quite a bit of time left, but uh, I want to make sure that we don't get too far afield. I actually have two questions left, and I want to try if I can get them both in. Um, but, John, I'm going to come back to you. If you could change – there were some rule changes last year in 2019. Um, if you could change any rules in golf currently, um, what would they be? Great question. And actually, let me um, – yeah, let me, let me, let me before, before I do that, let me preface this. We're going to stick with just the amateurs on this uh, and everyday golfers. Forget about the professionals. We're going to keep them in a, in a different league. So think of this from a recreational golfer. If there were rules that could be changed that would make it an easier transition or experience for our everyday golfers, what would they be? So I'm going to take the question you just said, switch the words around to answer the question, and it's real simple. For the game to be more enjoyable for you, it's okay to break the rules that will allow that to happen. I don't care what skill level you are, whether you're an absolute beginner, uh, someone trying to play to a single-digit handicap. When we look at amateur golf, for years, um, it's always been the same rules as the professionals and the elite amateurs have had to play with. But yet all other sports, whether even horseback riding, I was watching my niece with a horseback riding lesson a couple months ago, and there were three different individuals at this lesson, and there were three separate rules for the rider and the horses based on the age and ability of the horse and the age and ability of the rider. And it was like, wow, you know, that golf could benefit from this. So in, in a general sense and in a very short answer if you need to break a rule to make it fun and it's not going to affect anybody or anybody else other than you realize you may be fooling yourself long term but short term it's okay if you've got to pick that ball up out of the bunker and toss it out there because you've tried six times to get it out and can't the moral of the Mm -hmm. story is go get a bunker lesson but let's not sit there and punish you (laughs) get get, throw it out there right put it um, if you need to tee the ball up all the time because you can't get it airborne, go ahead and do it. Uh, I actually used to run a clinic 
and had fun rules that allowed all that to happen. So as you Mm -hmm. progress and get better, as in any of the sports, more and more and more rules apply. And what this might do is open up some channels and avenues for the absolute beginner who is a little intimidated and scared to understand like any other game, there's a set of rules that I can follow and I can go play with my husband, my spouse, my kid, who's much better, and we can both enjoy each other's company and both feel like we accomplished something on the golf course. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. And, um, you know, Pete, I think that um, having some fun rules, it's kind of like, you know, when you think about going back in time and, you know, we first learned to ride a bike, many, uh, maybe not everybody, but many people had training wheels. Uh, It's kind of the same analogy. You know, we want to make it a little bit easier for our recreational golfers, especially for our beginning golfers who really are struggling. Um, John makes some great points. What about rules that you can think of um, that might make it um, that you would like to change that would be maybe a little bit more conducive uh, for our uh, for good play for our um, amateur golfers? Well, I think one of the first ones I'd like to change is, you know, anytime you hit a ball off into water hazard, whatever, you know, just drop it there and go. No going back to a tee, nothing. You know, get rid of that distance having to go back and all that. Just keep playing forward. Never have to move backwards. You know, I think that from just from a standpoint of speed of play, and everybody says, oh, but the rules are. I said, yeah, yeah, but the rules are going to be the same for everybody regardless. It doesn't matter. But this will keep you moving forward mm-hmm. and keep you going. I think from a new player standpoint, um, you know, don't be afraid to just drive the cart down to the 150-yard marker and play from there. Don't worry about where the tee box is. Go mm-hmm. tee one up in the fairway at 150 and play every hole at 150 yards. And your par is eight. Yep. And if you if it's more than eight, stop. Just pick it up and keep going, and keep going until you can get to where double par is. But don't worry about the overall aspect of the entire game. When you're new, you just want to get used to being out there, hitting some shots, having a little bit of fun. If you're struggling, it's okay to pick it up. Just pick it up and scoot along and go back down. Uh, when I first started with my kids, they, my kids would put their ball down wherever my drive went. They wouldn't worry about hitting tee shots. They'd let me tee off, and then they just, as soon as we got to my ball, they'd put one down and start playing from there. And, you know, I think that that would make it just so much easier um, overall to, to get the newer players started. And I think from, you know, everybody else, um, you know, I one of the things we started to put in is, you know, maximum three putt. I mean, that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody yeah. play maximum of the three. I mean, you know, you should do two anyway, so we're giving you one. But, you know, just put some things in that will help speed the game along because the game is really slowed down. I mean, especially from watching yeah. some of the collegiate events. Oh, my goodness. Five and a half, six, six and a half <laughs> hour rounds. It's, it's, I right. mean, it's like they're stuck in molasses and nobody knows who's supposed to go. Nobody's ready when it's their turn. And I think from a standpoint of let's go back to technology, they've, they've given these people so much information in these books around the green, it takes them forever to decide what the heck they're going to do. So I think we need to simplify that down uh, immensely and just to get people to play faster. So, you know, make it so that everything in the rules keeps moving everybody forward so you never have to go backwards. And then, you know, as you're developing your game, don't hesitate to just move up play a little bit shorter, have a little bit of fun, 
I've got three brand new players that I have, and they play from the 150 yard marker every time they go out. They're having a blast, you know. And eventually, yeah. we'll put them back where the tee box is. But not yet. They're they're having fun. This is, we're introducing them to the game, and I think that's one of the things going forward that we can really do with the newer players to keep them coming back and coming back. Is you know, don't worry about 550 yard par fives. Go up there from 150 yards. Okay, if it's a par five, maybe play from 200. But just get up there and and play the shots. And I think when they do that, they're going to spend more time in the scoring shots, which is going to make them better overall anyway. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And and it's like I've always said, too, the other thing I'd like to see more of, uh, and again, this is, you know, no uh, slight against, you know, many of our our clubs and, and resort courses, but I'd like to see more executive or par three type courses uh, come into play again. You know, there's certainly still a number of them around, um, but I would like to see even more built um, because I think it kind of goes to the same premise of, of what you're talking about, Pete, and and that is to you know allow the golfers to to play at lengths that are much more realistic for them, um, especially starting out. And you know, again, they can even do it in such a way that you know the you know within a few yards either way, um, you know they can maybe range from 150 to 175 yards uh, maximum. Um, so that way, again, you're, you're kind of keeping within that frame uh, that you're discussing. And, uh, you know, give people a chance and then let them, as they get more comfortable and confident hitting the, you know, uh, hitting the, the, with the golf clubs, you know, then you can take them out and, and you know, introduce them to some of the longer courses and, and uh, work on some of the other areas that might need to be worked on. But I, I think that's a, a great start, and I agree, moving them up. And I think also um, eliminating rules, even if it's just temporarily, to make the game more fun and enjoyable for people because, you know, we certainly have to have rules. There's no doubt about it. Um, and, and, John, you brought up a great one about having to, you know, go back and, and uh, you know, re-hit shots again if we hit out of bounds or in water. Um, it, it just takes too much time and, and uh, ends up holding up a lot of groups. All right, the last question, guys, I'm going to come back, uh, John, to you. And this is one, and we'll kind of keep it actually an open discussion if, if we can um, for the last uh, few moments. And that is, uh, you know, in, in about a month's time, we've got the Masters. Uh, first time ever that it's been played in November. Uh, it's going to be different. What, uh, what do you see with this Masters coming up, uh, John? Any opportunities do you think that the golf industry can take away from having the Masters in November as opposed to April? Uh, the obvious ability to compete against football. Um, uh, that's typically <laughs> when football's coming to a crescendo, and all of a sudden here's arguably one of the greatest sporting events uh, of any that's dead in the middle of November. Um, there, that's a huge opportunity to remind people that even when the weather isn't going to be what you believe to be tolerable, having lived in the Augusta area, November's an iffy month. And you may see some weather there where these guys have got to endure it. I think it's going to be a really solid message to golfers everywhere that, hey, you can play the highest level of golf you wish at any time of the year, regardless, even with snow on the ground, go get a hot pink ball and make sure everything's frozen mm-hmm. and, and you're good to go. Um, from a, from an, another side of view industry-wise is the ability to show that a wraparound super season 
is something to consider long term. Um, what can we mm-hmm. do with this wraparound season with all the other events? Because in this season, you're going to have two Masters. You're going to have um, uh, a, a Ryder Cup. You're going to have an Olympics. You're going to have a lot of things that are duplicated. What? How can we take advantage of this and look at a schedule like this long term where we do spread the majors out instead of having it? It's something the players like because they feel like everything is sort of crammed on them now. Um, And I think the third thing the industry can look at is an extension of their, of the buy season, the buy season, meaning equipment, apparel, uh, travel, that kind of stuff and show people that, Hey, even in iffy times, there are places you can still go play. You can, uh, maybe it's, it's extending the product life cycle of one thing or introducing something new, but it, it gears you up for that little bit of winter layoff to say, hey, it's right around the corner. Um, I think it's going to be very interesting how the industry in general does take advantage of it and whether the mm-hmm. governing powers see all this as a, as a positive going forward to try to replicate it. Like I said, the players are asking for it. Um, will the governing bodies follow up and do something creative that gets us engaged all year long? Well said. And um, and Pete, very quickly, you know, I think also to to look at it is there's going to be definite changes um, from just the atmosphere um, and, and other conditions uh, in November. Um, you know, for instance, we're, we're going to have, you know, as uh, uh, John Decker, who was on the show last week, mentioned this uh, when when the same question was asked of him. And and that is, you know, he, he mentioned about the prevailing winds are going to end up shifting and coming out of the north now. So that's going to bring in uh, a different perspective on how some of the holes are going to be played. Uh, typically, they're no longer going to be downwind or, or crosswind. They're now going to be facing into a north breeze, if you will. Um, so there's going to be definite uh, ways that that is going to affect uh, the playability. What are your thoughts? Oh, I'm really looking forward to it. It's strictly from that point of view. I mean, a different weather pattern. Um, they're going to have to adapt to play the golf course differently. And so I think it's going to be a unique situation for us all to see, you know, how they do adapt and, and how it affects the scoring from, from what it normally is. Um, is it way better? Is it way worse? You know, um, how is everything going to kind of pattern out? And, you know, I, I agree with John there, you know, I mean, having, you know, the PGA and the U S open when it's a million degrees out, I mean, have we never, have we ever thought of moving those? I mean, the players, I think, would kind of like that when it's not 105 and 100% humidity and they're playing a major. Let's get them in some better mm-hmm. weather. I mean, we've got venues all over the place. Can't we put them in a spot where right. it's going to be a little bit better? <laughs> I mean, you know, it took it took them a long time to figure out you could play a football game indoors for the Super Bowl without having to worry about the weather. And, and you know, I, I right. granted they want to play outside, but, I mean, there's definitely some things in the season you can do to spread it out, and I think, this is going to be a, a really cool thing to see having a major this far down the road and, and how it competes against all the other sports. We've got a little bit of help because not a lot of the football teams are playing um, due to COVID. So, um, you know, from a collegiate standpoint, but I think it's going to be a really positive deal. And, and um, I, I think hopefully it feels, as John said, that, you know, maybe they'll really look at this and, and spread these things out and, and put them in different parts of the, of the time frame of the entire year. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It's definitely going to be interesting. It's going to be exciting to have a major. It's certainly going to be 
uh, a little bit odd. Um, you know, we're used to seeing the Masters in April uh, as opposed to November. Um, but uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see. And, you know, I, I was thinking to myself the other day, you know, what if it ends up being a really successful Masters and, you know, the players really like it? You know, would there ever be a chance that Augusta National might say, you know what, maybe we're going to move the Masters to November and and move it from April permanently? Um, you know, who knows? Uh, you know, anything can happen. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out of it. Obviously, right now, uh, you know, it's uh, it's just going to be for 2020, and they're going to have um, uh, sort of a back-to-back because the Masters is scheduled, of course, for April again uh, next season, assuming everything uh, continues on. But, uh, you know, who knows? Uh Depends on on how it's received and and what kind of feedback they get, whether or not uh, uh, things could change on a more, more permanent nature. So we'll have to see. But uh, I, I'm excited. Um, it's going to be nice because I really that's uh, one of my favorite, if not my most favorite, tournament of the year is the Masters, and uh, it w- certainly doesn't feel like a year of golf uh, without it. So I'm I'm excited, and uh, as I understand as well, uh, another. Uh, caveat is that uh, Gary Player's birthday uh, is uh, in November uh, Masters week, so I'm sure he's extra excited about having uh, his birthday fall in uh, during uh, the Masters uh, tournament this year. So interesting to see, guys. Um, as always, great discussion. Um, some very uh, interesting insight to the questions tonight. I want to thank you both for that. And uh, very quickly, we'll go in order again, John and then Pete. Um, let the folks know if they want to reach out, uh, the best way they can do that, and if there's anything uh, quickly that you'd like to plug while you're on the show. Well, first off, thanks, Pete. Always a pleasure to be on the show with you. Uh, we we have a lot of things in common, and where we differ, we're not too far off, and it's always good to hear your voice and the opinions. Ted, again, thanks for the opportunity. Uh, as I always say, just John Hughes Golf, whether it's an at sign, a number sign in front of it, that's how you find me on social media. That's my website, johnhughesgolf.com. And I'm a little behind due to being under the weather a little bit in September, but hopefully by the second Tuesday of November, I'll have something really cool and exciting to announce that people around the world should be able to take advantage of. Very good. Um, And Pete, what about you? Well, same, Ted. Thanks for having me on. And, John, it's always a pleasure to be on with you. You know, know, you and I see eye-to-eye pretty much the same on a lot of things, so it's always fun to have some great discussions. Uh, They can reach me at plainsimplegolf.com. It's P-L-A-N-E is the plane, and uh, there's links to everything uh, social media-wise there. And, um, yeah, I'm going to be moving to a new format in January, so keep an eye out, and um, and, and I I think you'll like what we're going to be doing starting next year. Well, sounds good. And again, guys, uh, both John and Pete, thank you very much as always for bringing your best to the Coach's Corner panel. And uh, as uh, as things move forward and and uh, your events or changes uh, happen, uh, I look forward to you sharing them with uh, with my audience here on, on Golf Talk Live. But have a great week, guys, and and uh, stay safe and uh, get out there and and see if we can help uh, uh, some future uh, uh, golfers out there and uh, enjoy the game and make it more fun. Thanks, guys, and have a great weekend. All right, you too. Thanks, Thanks, Ted. Thanks, Pete. All right, that was uh, my special guests on the Coach's Corner panel, Pete Buchanan and John Hughes, uh, both great guys, and uh, you can find them all over uh, social media, as they mentioned, uh, so definitely uh, check them out. Um, We've got a few minutes here uh, before my my guests come on board, so I want to take this opportunity just to 
uh, let everybody know. Uh, again, if you want to uh, subscribe to Golf Tips Magazine, you can go to golftipsmag.com. Uh, there's some great issues uh, that have been out here this season during COVID, uh, and uh, definitely want to take advantage. If uh, you haven't subscribed and you want to pick up, currently right now there's a, the uh, magazine, which is the November-December issue, uh, which was uh, available on uh, September 22nd, is still available, and that featured a great uh, personal story from uh, the son of uh, the legendary Billy Casper. Uh, of course, I'm talking about my friend Byron Casper, and uh, it's out at, uh, at newsstands, and particularly Barnes & Noble and Books A Million, so you can get that. And then we just finished uh, putting together the uh, special issue this year. This was an issue, uh, sort of has a double meaning, if you will, but uh, uh, earlier this year uh, with uh, COVID and, and so much being shut down early in the season, the May-June issue of Golf Tips magazine uh, was not made available uh, to subscribers and to the general public. So uh, we put together a special issue, which also happens to coincide with the holiday gift guide as well and there's some great products in there uh that i uh, personally picked out and i think you'll like them there's a little bit of everything and i'm not going to spoil it um but that issue is actually just on its way to the printers now it should be coming out to subscribers uh here before too long and then it'll actually hit newsstands in around uh, towards the end of this month i believe october 22nd uh it's a great issue uh a lot of great articles um throughout there and and great tips of course um, but also there's going to be a section in there, the holiday gift guide, and it's going to have a little of everything in there. So you definitely want to check it out. So, uh, again, if, uh, if you're not currently subscribing, it's well worth it. It's uh, for a subscription here in the United States. It's uh, for six issues. It's a bi-monthly magazine. It's uh, $14.97, and uh, you can go to golftipsmag.com, and you can actually order right online, and uh, or you can go through the customer service if you want to. Uh, do it in a different way. Uh, there's an email there for the customer service and also a toll-free number as well. So um, lots of great ways to do it. Go to golftipsmag.com or you can just order online and pay uh, with your credit card or even your PayPal account if you use PayPal. So lots of great ways to do that. Uh, check it out. Go to golftipsmag.com. All right, my very special guests coming up here. I'm going to introduce them, tell you a little bit about them, and then as soon as they uh, they uh, sign in, I will... Uh, bring them on board. My guests tonight are from Quantix Golf. Uh, the co-founder and chairman and CEO is Ian Martin, and his father uh, is the also uh, the president and co-founder, uh, Gregory Martin. And let me tell you first about Ian. Ian uh, is, again, the uh, co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Quantix Golf. And Ian began his career in golf from the humble beginning of cart uh, staff, uh, then working his way into the pro shop management side of the business. I earned a bachelor's uh, in business administration from uh, Abilene uh, Christian University. Uh, in early uh, 2019, his senior year at ACU, he began laying the groundwork, which uh, paved the way of, uh, for the company uh, Quantix Golf, uh, which, of course, has grown today, and all achieved this before the ripe young age of 23. Uh, again, his father, uh, Greg Martin, is the president and co-founder of Quantix Golf, uh, also runs several other national companies. Mark, uh, Greg is a former touring professional and founded uh, Triton Golf in 1999 uh, when Ian was uh, just a year old. Uh, he was also a sports agent to players from the PGA and LPGA tours and various retired Hollywood actors uh, and professional athletes from the NHL, uh, Major League Baseball, and of course uh, the NFL. So 
please welcome my very special guests um, from Quantix Golf, uh, Ian and Greg Martin. Good evening, guys, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. Hey, thanks, thanks for having, thanks us, for having us. us. All right, guys. Well, thank you very much. I it was perfect timing. I was just finishing the the intros, and uh, you guys showed up. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. So, um, Greg, I'm going to start with you on this because what I like to do, for, uh, especially for folks that have never been on the show before, um, just to share with the audience before we get in and talk about uh, Quantix and, and some of the other things, um, just to give you uh, the audience an idea of, of really how you sort of began in golf, what, what drew you to golf, um, your earlier recollections of, of, of when you took up the game, and then, Ian, I'm going to obviously pass that on to you as well. So just tell us, Greg, a little bit about how you got interested and who introduced you to golf. Yeah, I'd be happy to, Ted. Thank you very much for having us on. Uh, you know, uh, my my uncles actually introduced me to the game at the age of 10. You know, I played a lot of putt-putt, and, yeah, I won a, a fair number of putt-putt tournaments. But, you know, when they put a set of clubs in my hands, uh, you know, I just couldn't get enough. So I was starting to do both. And, uh by the time I was 12, I started competing a little bit, you know, with the city junior in Fort Worth where I grew up. And, uh, you know, uh, guys like Mark Brooks and my old friend Angus Baker and, you know, a number of guys that, that played back in my era. And uh, so what happened was I just continued on with that. And uh, next thing I know, my, my very first job was a outside services cart attendant. And I think everybody else is going to find that my son <laughs> – indirectly and accidentally <laughs> took the same career path uh he never would have wanted to do that but uh pastor from across the street came by one day and said hey somebody at the club needs uh needs uh, the services of a young man so he uh he eagerly took it and uh you know i just played through the years and uh I, by the time i was 12 i really knew i wanted to be a professional golfer i, I did not have the uh opportunities that uh, my boys have uh, but I've tried to do everything I could to uh, make it is is uh, is well not not as easy, but just kind of paved the way. But I'll tell you, Ian built this company pretty much by himself. <laughs> he he and I actually had talked about it years sooner. Uh, ultimately, though, uh, he he got it to the table first because I my problem is I never met a never met a business I didn't like. So as a serial entrepreneur, <laughs> you know I found a lot of extra things to do along the way, but. I first got in the golf business at age 16, a couple of years at Diamond Oaks Country Club in uh, Fort Worth. And, um, yeah, I got to play with a lot of great names. Uh, you know, Mark Brooks, he was a, a senior uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, when I was uh, playing and, and, and working at the club. Of course, you know, we, you always get free golf when you work at the club. So that's that's a good thing. Right. You know, along, along about uh, back in the 80s, you know, I played in my first professional event. And, you know, it, it gets in your blood. And, uh, you know, I had a couple of golf shops that I owned through the, through the years. And, um, you know, I started at the bottom. <laughs> so, um, mm-hmm. you know, it was my very first job and it's been an honor to be associated, uh, with all the people that I've met over the years in, in the golf business. And, you know, when we started Triton in 1999, Ian was uh, a year old and, um, we had the same scientist, uh, Ian can, tell you a little bit about him i don't want to uh, in, in, uh, interfere with with this show but uh it was it was a great honor because we beat all the leading brands at that time in distance and dispersion also known as accuracy and uh just uh we 
we were a little nervous because that was the first time I'd ever done that. And we had four balls that we brought to market. So uh, it, it worked out really well. And then uh, later, subsequently, I would, uh, in about 06, 2006, uh, put the company on the shelf to uh, play professional golf. I had a great sponsor uh, for a couple of years. Uh, you know, it didn't matter whether I won anything or not. He was, he was right there along the way. But uh, another story for another day. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. It's always interesting to hear, uh, you know, somebody's journey into this game because, um, you know, some of us have very similar stories and, and others obviously have different, but it's all all circles back to the same as it's a love of the game and, and an enjoyment. Ian, what about you? Uh, your, your dad mentioned uh, a little bit. Uh, obviously, you followed in his footsteps a little bit, but uh, what was your early recollection of uh, this game? I mean, you know, based on what you've heard so far, uh, it's it's pretty clear golf has been uh, almost a family sport, you can say. Um, it's it's always been around from from my earliest memories. Uh, I know one of the one of the things that Greg will definitely attest to is bouncing me on his knee while he was fulfilling orders back in uh, back in the late '90s and early 2000s. And so, you know, whether I liked it or not. <laughs> Golf was really a part of uh, a part of everything I was growing up. I know, you know, we had a fantastic little short game area at our house, which I, you know, I wish now that I appreciated. Um, but you know, as long as I can remember, it's been golf this, golf that, and uh, you know, growing up, I, I took interest in baseball. Uh, was really my first, uh, you know, interest uh, sports wise. And it wasn't really until uh, I want to say freshman year of of high school that I, I really thought, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go back and give, give golf a try, you know, tournaments and, and whatnot. And, you know, it's it clearly is in my blood because I was, you know, I was able to pick up a set of clubs and, you know, exactly where I left off last time I swang one, it, you know, it was right back, uh, right back in the same spot. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's been a, a nice thing having golf, uh, you know, in, in my presence and subconsciously always around me. Uh, you know, I, I didn't ever think I'd be in the, the golf ball business, but, you know, that's a, that's one heck of a story to tell. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, like, like Greg mentioned, I, I did take the same career path starting out. My first job, um, you know, was at a, a course here in, in Fort Worth area. And, uh, you know, little did I know, uh, I guess it's, you know, six, seven years later now, one of my biggest connections, um, the course owner, partial course owner, Tony Martinez, uh, national director of the PGA of America is his course he owned. And, uh, you know, we became good friends over that time that I worked there and ran through some great promotions, um, and, you know, left when it was time to head out to college. But, you know, I, I never would have guessed that my first job that just kind of fell in my lap essentially would, uh, would turn out to be, you know, something really big. You know, I think it's just to go back, Greg, to something that you said. And Ian, I want to I want to start to um, get into sort of unpack uh, Quantix Golf. But uh, you know, Greg, you said something about really, you know, start starting at the beginning from the ground floor. And I think it's so important in in every aspect of life, not just business, but in personal life. I think it's good to you know we, we've all got to start somewhere. And I think when you start at the bottom and and sort of from a, a more humble beginning. I think you learn and you grow to appreciate things uh, a lot more as you develop. And obviously, you know, uh, the next generation, you want to pave that way and make it a little bit easier. But uh, at the same time, you want them to to be able to have some of the same understandings um, that you did. And it sounds 
uh, like that uh, went about that way uh, for you guys, uh, uh, you know, Ian, for you growing up and, and for Greg, you, you know, wanted to make sure that your family, uh, you know, had a, had a good stable uh, beginning and, and was able to, uh, you know, to, to come out running. So, Ian, I want to go to you and I want to ask you um, when Quantix Golf sort of came to mind for you and what was your original thought process? What, why did, you know, how did Quantix Golf sort of come to be and what were you sort of envisioning in your head uh, when that was uh, being developed? Yeah, so, I mean, really it came about um... – you know, I, I started all this while I was still in, in college at ECU. Um, and, you know, it was kind of that realization one day that everybody has, of, you know, what, what are my plans after I graduate? And so I was, you know, I was thinking, you know, what, what's going to be something that I'm going to, you know, love to do, make a difference in what I do and, you know, not, not be a slave of work. Um, and, you know, the more I thought of it, it's, it's funny before, before those thoughts came, I was, I was on a, pretty big dry spell of golf uh you know my younger brother he loved going out and golfing and you know i would i'd be like i you know i don't know if i want to go out when you don't want to come back for the weekend and you know it came to a point where i was like i love golf you know why why am i not going out every time i have a chance and uh you know playing the great game and so you know i was thinking you know while i was in school uh, like i said what you know what's something that i want to do you know spend my life doing and and work towards. And the more I looked at the golf industry, the more I thought to myself, I hate everything that's going on in it. Uh, and, you know, obviously mm-hmm. the direct consumer movement is, is something that's big and it's changing the game, but I wasn't a fan of how it was headed and how people were trying to change it. It was, it was almost becoming who can be the cheapest golf ball that doesn't, you know, explode while you hit it. Uh, and so right. my thought process with that was, you know, our scientist, Larry Kadorniga, you know, like I said, I grew up with golf, you know, and being one year old, you know, his name was mentioned plenty of times, um, you know, all through my, my young life. And so, you know, it's not like I had to go, you know, say, oh, well, we, we got to find a random factory and, and, you know, white label something. It was, you know, I have one of the best scientists, you know, a phone call away. And so I thought to myself, why not? You know, why not see if he wants to come back into the ball business? Because, you know, he was uh, retired at that. You know, use my connections I have to their fullest extent. And so that's exactly what happened. And, you know, sure enough, he was more than willing to come out of retirement, come on board, and make something big happen. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. Yeah, and, you know, Ted, this boy beat yeah, me to the punch, too. I was just getting ready to, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe maybe a year later, you know, start start a company. But it all worked out the way the Lord wanted it to, you know. It's uh, he he picked the right name, and but I'm I'm really proud of him because, uh, you know, he took the initiative to do this, and uh, you know, really I I've just kind of been along for the ride. He's uh, it's been amazing to to watch him. Well, let me just say, Greg, that's what you get when you hesitate. You see, uh, Ian beat you to it, so. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> You know, um, but, you know, and that's good. I mean, and that's what you want. You obviously want to see your, your son, uh, you know, sort of open up his creative juices, if you will, and, and develop and, and, and discover, you know, something. And, and, and I like in the way, you know, you put that you, you didn't like what you were seeing and 
you know, that's probably the best incentive right there is what can I do to make a change to make the experience for consumers and for the industry as a whole uh, to make it better. And that sometimes when you when you put that as your mission is I want to make something better. It's not just about the, the best product, but it's just about the overall concept. I want to make it a better experience. Um, you know, you're, you're literally halfway to success with just that vision alone. Um, so what makes the ball? And, and, and I want to ask you because there are, as you guys know, there are so many golf balls on the market. Um, I mean, there's literally, no pun intended, dozens and dozens of, of golf ball products <laughs> on the market. So what makes the Quantix golf ball different? Ian, that was for yeah, you, sorry. It's, it's a great question um, because, like you said, there are so many out there. I know, you know, my golf spy has, you know, really led in trying to help consumers navigate uh, and they do a lot of good, um, you know, in doing that. But, you know, looking from the start before we even had anything ready to go, you know, obviously one of the things that that we asked Larry was, you know, obviously make something different, make something that stands out. You know, if you put two golf balls side by side, make something that says, you know, that has a person say that was different and I really like it. Um, and so, you know, our leading off with our tour ball, the F-18 tour, it's a three-piece urethane um, tour ball. Uh, and sits about a 95 to 105 compression. So it's, uh, it ranks right up there in compression with, you know, every major OEM ball produced today. Um, but really the thing that changes it is the mantle layer. And a lot of people overlook, they, you know, they think I want the core to compress. It needs to be just right so that I get that perfect trajectory, perfect distance. But what Larry did with the mantle layer, um, and, you know, I'm, I'm not a, a chemist by any means. And so he, you know, would obviously be able to answer these questions in, in great detail. Um, but he came up with a formula in the mantle layer. Um, and even with the thickness of it, uh, it all has to do with the ball speed. Uh, and, you know, when you compare multi-piece balls with, uh, you know, two-piece balls where they just have the core and the cover, um, you miss out on a lot. Uh, and so with our mm-hmm. our choosing in a three-piece ball is that that mantle layer helps not only convey the speed of the ball compressing inside and having that explosive effect off of any club, but it also helps dial in that spin, uh, whether you're going into the green 100 yards or just have a 5- to 10-yard chip to get back onto the green. And so it really does a lot um, in that aspect. And another thing we see with golf balls today that makes us different is you have to sacrifice something. And it's always been like that. You sacrifice distance to gain spin or you sacrifice um, spin to gain a little bit of trajectory. There's, there's always been something that's, you know, too good to be true about everything. And the reason right. why the tour ball is so special is because of the fact that there's nothing that you sacrifice in the golf ball to get the results you want. You know, as we were tested with Golf Loud San Diego, um, which I'll get into a little bit mm-hmm. later, uh, you know, it beat all the leading brands out there uh, in, in distance and dispersion, uh, kind of a, a copycat of Triton, if you will. Um, but, you know, that wasn't the end of the story. Uh, you know, we fit these balls specifically during testing from the green to the tee rather than the tee to the green. Because as you know, you're not making hole in ones off the off of a par four tee. You know the the shots are made. You know starting at the green. Uh, you know your putts are so important, and so we we wanted to make sure that that ball 
was going to perform at the smallest level and then all the way up to the T, you know, make sure it performed there as well. And so, you know, just the such detail that we worked through to make sure that that ball does perform in every aspect is one of the major things that makes a difference. You know, and, and Greg, I want to ask you, um, as, as somebody who's been a tour player, what Ian's just talking about is important to you as a player because, you know, he's exactly right. You know, many of the, the other products out there, we hear, well, you know, you want more distance, uh, you know, this is the ball you play, or you want a little more spin and control, this is the ball you, you play. Well, when you're on, out on tour, I mean, you need, you know, all of the above. So if yeah, you, you know, really, you, you really can't, right. So you want a product that's going to come out there and, and meet all of your needs. And a lot of the products on there really don't. I mean, obviously for the amateur players, distance is, is a premium, but for your better players, they want control. Uh, they want that extra spin. They want to be able to stop it, especially on some of these firm greens. So from a tour player's perspective, uh, I want you to talk a little bit, if you wouldn't mind, um, why this ball would be something you would want to play or a fellow tour player would want to play. Well, yeah, I'd be happy to address that. You know, uh, you know, back when, when we had Triton, you know, I, I would try to get out there and qualify for some events and do my thing. We had a great golf ball. You know, we had the uh, Triton high performance, uh, you know, it led, led the way distance and dispersion. Um, the biggest problem that other players had with it was they felt like it was still a little too hard. Um, our tour ball at that time was three-piece uh, multi-layer. Uh, but, again, you ended up sacrificing distance. So the reason I held off all those years of reforming the, the new company, if you will, was I couldn't um, – Larry had some contractual obligations. Plus, uh, you know, I had kids growing up and, you know, things to do and – contractual obligations myself and players to manage and whatnot. So rather than start it up, I waited and uh, I'm, I'm very patient like that. But uh, what I discovered was that if we just had a golf ball and we tweaked it just a whole lot, you know, in certain areas, uh, this mm. ball is so much better than the Triton golf ball and the Triton golf ball. I mean, it, it smoked them way back when the guys out at golf lab, San Diego, the first time I went out and tested, uh, uh, I took took some actors, a couple of different people out there, and Gene uh, and and Paul Parente at at that time said, "Man, we never never seen a, a no name golf ball come in here and beat the big boys." And so I told him this, and I said, "Well, now when you take it out there, you know, <laughs> get get ready. I mean, it it may be it may be greater, it may be another one of those deals, maybe even better." So. Uh, but but that the, the softening of this golf ball is uh, well, like for instance, Steve Jurgensen plays uh, plays our ball. He's had a couple of couple of minor wins with it uh, on some satellite tours, and you know he helped us uh, some with the testing. And uh, yeah, I just have to say that this is the complete package. Uh, and you know, if I didn't uh, have an ownership in the company, it'd still be the ball. I would want to play because it just does everything and it does it really well. If I had a swing to go with it, heck, we might not even be having this conversation. <laughs> All right. That's right. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Uh, I'd be joining you too. I agree. Um, so Ian, let's talk about some of the performance results in that. So, so give us an overview of how it's performed and what some of the feedback has been from those that have helped 
uh, you know, test it as your dad just pointed out, what's been some of the feedback um, for those that have tested it as well as your own independent tests? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll, I'll just go ahead and start with, uh, I want to preface with this, you know, starting out, there's so much marketing hype in the golf industry, which is one of the reasons mm-hmm. why I couldn't stand what was happening. And, you know, some of that hype may be, you know, it's the longest ball ever, or you're going to gain 3000 RPM on your wedges, you know, whatever it may be. It's just 99% of it is false claims. And so, you know, with yep. that being said, what I wanted to see with our company is that we never make a single claim until there's hard, concrete, scientific evidence proving that claim and turning it from claim to fact. Um, and so with that, you know, obviously the, the leading independent equipment tester, Golf Laboratories out in San Diego, um, mm-hmm. is the number one go to. I mean, the USGA and RNA, most of the major OEMs use their swing robots to test all of their products, whether it's clubs or golf balls. So there's, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of great things built around that. And so it was, it was a clear choice that, you know, we need to take the balls out there and have them tested in identical, identical conditions with, you know, all the leading competitors, you know, everywhere from, you know, everything from Titleist to Bridgestone and you name it. Um, yeah. And that was, that was really important to me. Uh, and so with those tests, you know, like I said, we saw uh, not only our tour ball, but our more amateur level golf ball, the F35 control, took the top two slots um, against everything we tested. Uh, and funny enough, the, the tour ball carried the longest. I believe it beat the next competitor by three and a half or four yards. Um, but on overall distance, the F35 control had extra rollout to it. Um, due to its low low mm. driver spin, um, and so mm. you know, testing with that, you know, obviously a lot of people say, well, you can't test it with a robot because no human is ever going to swing that perfect every time. So we're all going to get different results. But the fact of the matter is, you have to see what the golf ball's true potential is, because if you you know if you say this is the longest golf ball out there, um, based on a human swing, well, every human swing's different, and there's no doubt about that. But if it's tested right. with, you know, a proven swing robot, then, you know, this is the maximum potential of this golf ball based on these parameters. And with that, we know that every human will have different results. But the fact of the matter is, is at these results tested here, the performance is different between these golf balls. And, you know, clearly the F-18 tour um, was on top. And we, you know, we saw a lot of similarities with, uh, with human testing. Um, you know, some of the feedback we've seen from customers so far is, you know, we, we have a lot of players, uh, you know, who play the, I'll leave it at the number one ball in golf. Uh, and you can, you know, you can mm-hmm. put the pieces together of, of what they play. Um, and they've come back and said, I'm easily gaining anywhere from 10 to 15 yards off my drives, but I'm not giving up any control around the greens or going into the greens. And it's a, they say right. it's a clear, it's a clear winner because I'm paying, not only am I getting better performance, but you know, I'm also paying 15 to $20 less per dozen. And so with, you know, with that, yeah, and we've seen some, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I was just going to say really quickly, I was going to say, and, and from a consumer standpoint, um, you know, you want to hear that you want to get value for your money. I mean, there's nothing worse than, you know, going out and, and spending anywhere from 45 to $60 a dozen um, and, and only getting part of the product. 
um, as to what I talked about earlier. You know, it's great to get the extra distance, uh, but you're sacrificing something else. So I just wanted to mention that because that, that's important for consumers is they don't mind paying a, a little bit of a premium for, for a golf ball, but it needs to perform all the way around and not just uh, uh, part. To, uh, but go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, you're completely fine. Um, like I was saying, what we've seen with, with human testing um, and you know customers alike is that they're all getting some kind of gain out of the product. Um, and, you know, some of it could be placebo of the, the gains they want to see and they're pulling it out of themselves. But, you know, a lot of people, when they take it to the launch monitor, spitting out, you know, hard, hard numbers of exactly what's happening with, with the golf ball. Um, you know, they're seeing exactly what the differences are between what they were playing and, and, you know, the Quantix F18 tour. Um, and these results aren't differing uh, between people. It's they've been very consistent. Um, and so it's, it's been great to see that, you know, not only did it perform fantastic under, uh, you know, ideal conditions with swing robots, but consumers and, and tour players alike are, are seeing these exact same results. Ted, I wanted to make a brief well, point, and, and, if I may, that, that seems kind of sure. unbelievable. And I didn't mean to interrupt you, but, uh, you know, when, um, when Steve Jurgensen tested the golf ball, he, he tested the, uh, the F-18, you know, before the tour ball came out. And, uh, or was that the 35, son? Which, Let me which one that. was that? He tested with the F-35 control. That's right, the 35, yeah, because I, I kind of bounce around and play both of them. And, uh, you know, it just depends on the conditions. But I love both the golf balls. But uh, he, he goes and shoots about five under for nine holes during the test. And he's saying, wow, this is a great golf ball, man. This this is fantastic. Uh when's the tour ball coming out? And I'm going, dude, you're five under on the front nine and you even want a tour ball. <laughs> so yes, he got his, he got his tour ball and, and, it, and obviously, you know, he's got a couple of little victories to, uh, to prove it. But, you know, the other thing is the consumers, uh, like you said a moment ago, um, they want more for their money. And look, the fact of the matter is, you know, back when I was, uh, had Triton, you know, it, we did unmask the industry a little bit, and then we we left. And then, you know, there was quite a quite a big industry shakeout, if you will. People stopped believing all the hype, and uh, those days are pretty much over. And you know, Quantix is going to um, a fine mark in the industry. They already have, but but the thing I think that will seem somewhat even more unbelievable is just shortly after these guys got the golf ball. And don't get me wrong, they play a lot of golf. Uh, Ian is one of those CEOs. I don't know where he finds the time. I guess he just doesn't sleep much. But, uh, you know, it was uh, – yeah. Now, was it was it you or e- Easton, your brother, who had the first hole-in-one? It was you, wasn't it? Uh, Easton actually had the first hole-in-one uh, while we were in an okay. investor meeting. Uh, and it was uh, – Oh, that's it, right. It, I it remember almost, the, yeah, it almost yeah. seemed planned, but it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, it did seem a little hokey. <laughs> And then uh, some weeks later, on the same hole, you you also had a hole-in-one. I hadn't had a hole-in-one since I was 12. I didn't even have one in in competition, which, uh, you know, really hurt my feelings. But you know what ball I'm playing now. And, you know, another thing I want to add. uh, Yeah, go ahead, please, Ian. Okay, yeah, another thing I wanted to add um, through our testing, uh, you know, obviously us being here in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, anybody in this area can attest that the wind is off the charts. 
you know, on any given day, we're looking right. at at least 15 to 25 miles an hour. And so one of the biggest things, uh, you know, being an avid golfer myself is nobody likes to see their ball balloon in the air against the wind or just, you know, absolutely get killed by the wind. And so we wanted to make sure right. that the aerodynamics of the ball were, you know, bar none. Uh, and so what we've seen is, you know, we not only have a golf ball that, like I said, can perform in every aspect that, you know, any golfer needs it to, but the wind is no match. Uh, it, it has an amazing ability to cut directly through the wind and hold this line. You know, one of the things Steve Jurgensen said while he was having that fantastic uh, five under day was I've never seen a golf ball cut through the wind like this one. It held its line so mm-hmm. pure. And that, I think that's so important because, you know, many amateur golfers, they'll face the wind and, you know, there's a little bit of an internal freak out because I know I've experienced it myself. Uh, and you just, you wonder, am I hitting enough club? You know, am I doing the right things? Uh, but, you know, with, with the ball's ability to cut through the wind, it, it takes an extra toughness out of golf. If you might, if you might say that. Um, and it really, yep. you know, completes the all around package. Well, and, 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 and I agree. That's, that's extremely important. And I, just one quick thing I want to add going back to um, what really both of you have said about some of the changes that, that really the, the sort of the shakeup in the industry. Um, I, I know from equipment standpoint, you know, I was down this past uh, January's PJ merchandising show and, you know, there was a lot of great products down there, a lot of great equipment. Um, and, you know, it's nice to see it's nice to to see this new technology um i wish the price tag was a little bit better but going to your point that you really both made is you know the consumers have kind of gotten to the point now they're like okay listen you know we've been we've been kind of fed this this line for you know 10 20 whatever years um of more distance and this and so on and so forth and unfortunately um really has not been delivered so it's refreshing that you take note of that very early on because you could have easily done the opposite. You could have just say, okay, how am I going to get in the market? You know, let's, you know, wham, bam, whatever, and get out there. And you decided to put a little bit more thought into it and say, no, I want to, you know, get to sort of the consumer's heart, if you will, and say, I want to create something that they can actually get excited about using and not just make a bunch of promises that I can't back up with the science. And I think that was a, a smart move, um, you know, Ian, on your part. And obviously you've, you've learned well from, from your father. Um, before we continue on, I want to bring somebody on. He wanted to join the conversation for a little bit. Um, I know you'll both know him. He's uh, a very good friend of mine. I know he's uh, a friend of yours, and he is the son of the legendary Billy Casper. Of course, we're talking about our good friend Byron Casper. So let me bring him on, and uh, he'd like to share some thoughts as well about Quantix. Good evening, Byron, and welcome. Good evening, Ted, and uh, and Ian and Greg as well. I uh, enjoyed listening to the last five minutes of uh, of you guys talking about your uh, your golf ball, and uh, I, I certainly don't want to take too much time, but I thought I would jump on for a quick five minutes and just give it a uh, a personal endorsement uh, because I, uh, I you know it's at 50 years old. It's hard to believe that I've fallen in love with again, but I uh, I've fallen in love with this golf ball, and. Um, you know, I've had the, the pleasure recently of testing it on my TrackMan, and it just outperforms every other ball in the market right now. Um, you know, I currently use the F-18, as you guys know, and I've got a few students using the, I think it's the F-35, if I'm not mistaken. 
Mm-hmm. And um, and you guys just did a just did a bang up job uh, with this ball. Uh, uh, it's it really is uh, uh, what Ted said a few moments ago. Um, I just think is 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 completely true, and that is the fact that you guys went about this the right way. You have a ball that appeals to professionals and low handicap players, and you have a ball that gives amateurs an edge. And at the end of the day, that's what we're looking for on the golf course, right? Absolutely. Really nice of you to uh, yeah. come on the show, uh, Byron. Good to good to talk to you. We we talk uh, uh, as often as we can. But Byron, I'm going to brag on Byron a little bit. Byron is one of the top <laughs> teachers in the United States. I'm just going to go ahead and give him a plug. I know he wasn't <laughs> expecting this. I wasn't. Even, I didn't know Byron was going to be on the call. But you know, you want a great golf instructor? <laughs> Byron Casper is your man. I promise you that. Well, thank you, thank you, Greg. It's um, you know when you have, uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm very fortunate in the sense that as as you all three of you know, I had uh, who I consider one of the best teachers in in the world that uh, I also happen to call dad. And uh, when we started the Billy Casper Golf Academy uh, together, uh, it was a dream come true. In fact, I think you were you were one of the first people I called, Greg. And, yes, um, and I think if, if I can, par- if I can paraphrase, I think I said something to the effect if the good Lord decides to take me right now, I feel like it's a good time because I, I've just reached uh, <laughs> a, a pinnacle of a personal goal. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where we grow and we learn. And it's one of the things that I love, love about what you guys are doing. You know, um, I, I know from personal experience how rewarding a father and son team in the golf world can be. And um, it certainly it's not without its uh, hills and valleys. Um, but at the same time, what an incredible experience to be able to do something in a sport that you love with your child or your parent. Um, you know, what I, I consider that a gift. Um, and, uh, and again, you know, you're combining a lot of knowledge, both with you and, and Ian, Greg. Um, when you're able to combine that knowledge uh, and all your golf experience, you have a winning product, which you guys do. Well, thank you very much. You know, it's uh, it's humbling because you know Ted and and I know Ian knows this because uh, we we are so thankful um, to be you know in the business and the businesses that we're in. Uh, but it's people like your dad, you know, the late Billy Casper and Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicholas and so many others, Lee Trevino, you know, people we grew up watching, you know, they, they paved the way, not only for golf, but for sports agents and uh, these huge purses and, you know, players like Tiger Woods and many others have, you know, come and, you know, stepped up and, and surpassed uh, some of those uh, areas and, and purses and galleries. And, but you know what, uh, without the Billy Caspers of this world, golf business wouldn't be nearly as great as it is and we're we really appreciate the contribution that your family uh, uh your dad especially and others have made to the industry well you know i thank you so much that um that's uh that really is wonderful to hear and uh and i'm very grateful um i'm very grateful for your thoughts and, and comments on that i I also agree. You know, as as all of you know, I had the opportunity to be the head golf professional in St. Andrews, Scotland for Heritage Golf when I lived over there. And it was my first real understanding of the history of this great game. And 
it really is the history uh, combined with the people that have come before us that have made golf what it is today. And I know there's a lot of people. Tiger Woods is a good example because I've, I've been able to speak to him. I even have a quote from him on the back of my uh, my last book um, where he talks about the importance of that history and, um, and quite frankly, how awesome Dad was around the greens and on, and on the greens. Um, and, uh, and it takes a lot of hard work, as you know, but it takes a lot of skill. And bringing it back full circle, it also takes the right equipment. And we're all looking for edges when we're on the golf course, both mentally and physically with the equipment that we use. And so having the right equipment makes all the difference in the world. And you guys have uh, put forward not only the right equipment and, and the right golf ball, but you've done it at a price point where people for the first time in a very long period of time don't have to compromise quality or price. And that's amazing. You know, I recently told a couple of my amateur students at the golf school how much uh, for a, uh, a dozen of the F-35s. And they were just amazed. And both of them are giving up their pro Vs and going in a different direction, thanks to you guys. And you know, little <laughs> things like that are super important for the market for the marketplace. So, very true. Yeah. Very true. I, I guess we'll have to up our security now. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so Ian, let me ask you. I want to bring Ian back in <clears throat> to the conversation, and, and as, as older chaps are going to uh, sit quiet and let him speak. But um, moving forward with Quantix. What is your future vision? You've you've created you know two great great balls. Is is there going to be further expansion to the line? What is what is the future of of Quantix hold in your mind? Um, how do you see your mission moving forward? Well, that's a dangerous question uh, asking in my <laughs> mind because you know it. I could go on and on, <laughs> uh, but you know, realistically speaking, um, obviously we have a fantastic foundation we have a you know world-renowned scientist um to you know create what i call you know works of magic within a golf ball uh and so you know our, our current plans um as we're sitting now is uh you know we're we're not a we're not a one-hit wonder or two-hit wonder by any means uh, this isn't you know this isn't something that's just going to appear and you know be gone the next year this is you know, this is a legacy. This is something that's going to be built, um, you know, for generations to come. I mean, it's, uh, you know, we're, we're looking currently at most likely a, a two-year um, release on, on new golf balls uh, with a one-year refresh. Uh, and so, you know, we, we've already been working on so many different things. Um, I, I don't want to spoil too much, but we have, we have another sure. two different models of golf balls with um, – multi-piece uh that aren't three-piece I'll, I'll leave it at that um that are fantastic uh, and you know they'll be coming very soon uh you know one of the big things we've done recently uh, is i was able to negotiate a co-branding deal with sun mountain uh, so we now have uh fantastic golf bags uh, available mm-hmm. to the public um there'll be we have one released currently and then in the next two weeks we'll be having another three models released um, and so that's, you know, we, we want to be focused around golf balls. Uh, and one of the biggest problems I see with a lot of companies is, you know, they, they tend to deviate off of their original ideas. Um, and, you know, it, it tends to oversaturate a lot of things. So our number one focus will always be golf balls. 
but you know, with that, we have a lot of supporting products uh, that we'll be releasing and already have released, um, and it's you know it, it's going to be a fantastic thing all the way around with that. Um, but you know, we're we're constantly innovating, pushing the boundaries of golf. You know what we're legally able to do with the USGA's um, restrictions, and you know, obviously, uh, there's been a lot of talk with Bryson DeChambeau being able to you know, achieve these fantastic gains uh, in his uh, mini off season and coming back on tour. Uh, and it has the USGA talking of, you know, dialing things back. But, uh, you know, from, from a manufacturer's standpoint, you know, it's, it's very counterproductive to do that. You know, the game takes a turn where it takes a turn. Um, and we're, we're always going to be at the forefront of pushing that envelope to see, you know, how, how much more can we benefit the consumer? Because everyone knows, Tour players don't pay for their equipment. If anything, they're paid to play what they play. And so right. you know, we're always going to have in mind, how can we benefit the consumer? How can we help their game improve? And what is it going to take from us as a company to achieve those things? And so for the future of Quantix, that's what we're always going to be pushing for. We're always going to be looking for that next edge to give the consumer, um, you know, that little extra boost out on the golf course or, you know, whatever they're looking for, um, and like I mentioned, we have a, a lot of things in the works that I'm, I'm excited to release them. Um, I wish I could give a little, a little extra hints on them, uh, but the public will see them very soon. Well, we'll, we'll save those uh, for the next time. Uh, yeah. For the next time you come on uh, the program, let me ask you, Ian, uh, you mentioned very early on in our discussion about, you know, dealing direct with the consumer. So, how how are you getting your uh, the golf balls uh, out there? Is it through your site? Is it through uh, is there through sort of a combination of your site and other retail um, uh, suppliers, if you will, or retail um, to consumer? What's the model that you're using right now, and and how do you plan on the future? Yeah, so we're primarily direct consumer. I say about ninety five percent. Because one of the biggest things I saw was, you know, direct consumer is a, a fantastic model to, to go by. You know, obviously it, it eliminates the middlemen. It takes out the opportunity mm-hmm. for people to upcharge it through various outlets. Um, but one of the things that I see missing in the direct consumer uh, model is that, you know, people of, of, you know, local areas, they they may get the ball next day with shipping. But there's always a joy, and there always has been. And I think there always will be a joy in going into the pro shop and purchasing your golf balls. Uh, and so here in, mm-hmm. in Dallas-Fort Worth, we have agreements with a few pro shops here um, locally that uh, they carry our, our two models, and they don't charge any more than we do on our website. And so it, it gives the, the local populace you know, an, an opportunity to still have that joy of walking into the pro shop and uh, purchasing a local golf ball. Uh, that, you know, obviously performs in every aspect for them. And they're also saving so much money and, you know, they still get that joy of of going in there. And so, you know, to answer the question, I I don't see us moving too far away from that model, uh, at least in the near future. You know, there is, there is a lot of opportunity to move into pro shops. Um, But like I said, we're, heavily consumer focused um and you right. know, whatever that may be whether it's 
offering, you know, a, a good price product um, or, you know, constantly pushing the envelope of uh, innovation, uh, you know, we're going to follow that, that method. And so uh, direct consumer is where we're at. And I believe it's where we'll stay for the foreseeable future. Um, not ever to become stagnant, you know, always looking for new ways, like I mentioned, to, um, to continue, uh, you know, paving the way for, for the future of golf. Uh, but it's, you know, it's a fantastic model um, and it really serves a great purpose. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think now with the way consumerism is now, um, I, I think it, you, you have to have that as a primary part of your business model because, you know, box stores and, and other uh, retail outlets and pro shops are great, um, certainly to have it in there, but you want to have control uh, or certainly better control over pricing and so forth and nothing beats direct consumer um, in order to achieve that. And I think a lot of, you know, our, our shoppers out there are becoming a little more savvy in, in navigating, uh, you know, uh, online uh, purchasing and so forth. And I mean, when you look at the statistics, uh, you know, each year uh, with times like Black Friday and, and Christmas, you know, more and more are uh, going direct to consumer through different uh, online merchants. And uh, so it's it's definitely, you know, the wave of the future. Um, that doesn't mean you don't necessarily have some presence in a retail format, but I think uh, the majority of it, and again, like you said, it, it helps to keep your costs down because you don't have to worry, um, you know, about uh, price increase and so forth. Um, before we, we wrap up, um, Byron, is there any final thoughts or comments that you want to make to uh, to Ian and Greg before I let you go? No, I uh, I just again want to want to give my endorsement. I uh, anybody that knows the the Casper family, uh, including my uh, my father, obviously Billy Casper, as as well as my you know golf professional brother Bob Casper knows that we don't usually endorse very many products because we're very careful with what we what we put our name to and we're very careful with really vetting products and services that we want to talk about. And I have absolutely no problem whatsoever endorsing Quantix. It really is an amazing mix of control, distance, um, I just I, I love the ball. Uh, like I said, I use the F18 because my swing speed is still pretty high, uh, even for an old guy. Um, using your words, Ted, uh, when you were referring to Ian. <laughs> um, and um, but the uh, but the F35 is it, you know I played nine holes with the F35 and it, it it really is a great ball. It just flies off the face of of your driver and it's uh, just soft enough to to really enjoy around the greens. So I urge everybody to just go and, and try your first dozen and um, and be be ready to be surprised. Well said. Well, Byron, thank you very much for, for coming on and sharing your thoughts uh, um, about Quantix. I know you've, uh, you're a big supporter of theirs, and we appreciate uh, that coming from you. And I will uh, let you go, and I will, I'll talk to you real soon, okay? Great. Enjoy the rest of the show, guys. Take care. Thanks, Thanks for your kind words, All Byron. Right. Thank you, Byron. All right, that was Byron Casper, of course, son of legendary Billy Casper, uh, coming in and sharing his thoughts uh, uh, towards uh, Quantix Golf. And uh, Ian, and we've just got a few more minutes, and, and Greg, I'm going to give you an opportunity as well. But Ian, if you want to let the folks know 
um, where they can go to get more information. I know we've given them a lot here tonight about the ball, but they, uh, as I said, a lot of our consumer uh, savvy uh, buyers out there want to search things themselves. So where can they go to get more information about the product? And um, then Greg, I'm going to let you uh, have some closing thoughts as well. Yeah, absolutely. So anyone interested in finding out more information uh, or getting their first dozen uh, can head over to quanticsgolf.com and I'll spell that out. It's Q-U-A-N-T-I-X-G-O-L-F.com. And there they'll find all the information that they can handle. Uh, and to head over to YouTube as well, there's been so many people who have done video reviews of the golf balls. Um, TXG, Tour Experience Golf in Canada, did a fantastic comparison um, against the Pro V1. Uh, and it's more evidence to show that, uh, you know, all the tests we've done are exactly as they say. Um, and, you know, putting that on a human level, there's, there's a lot of information out there. And I encourage um, any of these listeners to absolutely go look at it. And I always encourage everybody to do their own research as well, um, because a more informed consumer is a better consumer. Uh, and, it, it, you know, in the game of golf with so many things out there, you can't, you can't go wrong with more research. Uh, but, you know, like I said, they yeah, can I, find a lot about everything uh, on QuanticsGolf.com. Perfect. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think it's important that you do a little of your own research. It's it's good to read the information on websites and or in our uh, brochures and whatnot that you may find or might see uh, examples of, as I mentioned at the PGA show this year, I saw a lot of great products out there. But, you know, when you take a closer look uh, for yourself, sometimes uh, you find things a little bit different. So I always encourage people to do that. Greg, what about yourself? Any final thoughts or, or comments you'd like to make before I let both of you go? Well, you know, Ted, uh, first of all, you know, on, on behalf of my son and I and, and Quantix Golf, we really appreciate the uh, opportunity to, to be on your show. And really, uh, it was just awesome of you to uh, surprise us to, to have Byron on. You know, it's, it's always great to, to visit with him and, and talk to him and, you know, I would I would just say, I guess, in, in parting that, uh, you know, if if anybody ever played the Triton golf ball way back when, you know, back uh, 99 on to about 2006, um, it, it was a great ball. But I will tell you, I believe Quantix golf ball is, it's twice the ball um, that uh, the Triton was. And it just delivers so many more uh, characteristics and, you know, the experience that Larry Cadorniga has uh, from working for all the top companies, you know, he, he made his rounds. There's not a golf ball company on the planet. He has not worked with or worked for. And, you know, you, you just count the, count the top 10 and, and he's been there and done that. And uh, interestingly enough, I think what we have uh, determined is that, you know, he, when we talked, he said he wanted to do one more, one more design. And uh, Larry just uh, adopted an eight-year-old, so he's probably nine now. But that's—I know—that's keeping him very busy. And we're we're just so uh, so thankful and pleased to be able to work with someone like Larry. You know, on my uh, on my best day, uh, you know, back in 1998 when I first met Larry and went to his home, uh, it was just—it uh, was an honor to meet the man with so many number one designs. Uh, you know, he had many number one designs from, you know, Titleist and Maxfly and, and mm. uh, you know, just so, so many. And to uh, 
uh, yet I was I was nervous, you know, when we first developed that that first golf ball, you know. <laughs> uh, but it, it didn't take long, and you know, I, I guess along the way, I probably I may have bounced something loose in in Ian's brain as I was filling those orders, bouncing him <laughs> on my knee, trying to get him to sleep. He never really did <laughs> want to go to sleep, so I had to do something with him, you know. My wife's like, okay, I'll take care of him during the day. You got him tonight, and so we're filling orders, and now he's finding himself filling orders, and someday. I hope, Lord willing, his son will be bounced on his knee, carrying on the tradition. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, well, guys, I want to thank you both for, for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live. It's been a pleasure learning a little bit more about Quantix uh, Golf. And for those listeners that are maybe tuning in a little bit later on, if you go to Quantix Golf, and it's Q-U-A-N-T-I-X golf.com, uh, you can check out uh, two great golf balls, the F-35 and the F-18 uh, Tour Edition. Check them out. Lots of other uh, great information there, and I suggest that you do it. Guys, thank you very much, for uh, again, for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live. And Ian and, and Greg, uh, when you've got some more exciting news uh, coming up in the future to share, uh, please uh, think of me and come on back on, and we'll uh, help introduce that to uh, my audience uh, again at that point. But thanks for taking time out uh, of your schedule uh, this evening and joining me and my uh, audience here on Golf Talk Live. Thank you so much for having us, Ted. We really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a great evening, great weekend, and uh, stay safe. Thank Thank you. Thank you, likewise. All right. That was Ian and Greg Martin, uh, co-founders of Quantix Golf, uh, a great uh, company and featuring the F-35 and F-18 golf balls. Um, uh, And, of course, uh, special thanks to uh, my good friend uh, Byron Casper for coming on and and sharing uh, his uh, thoughts and insights into uh, uh, a really great product. And I, I strongly encourage all of my listeners to go to QuantixGolf.com and check it out. Again, it's spelled Q-U-A-N-T-I-X-Golf.com. Uh, check out uh, their products there and uh, and test them out yourself. Uh, I, I ask you to rise to the challenge and. Uh, order yourself a dozen and uh, get out there and, and give them a, a test yourself and then uh, go and visit their YouTube channel and post up uh, you know a video of uh, your results. And uh, I know they'd love to hear from you. All right, on that note, I want to thank uh, once again uh, Pete Buchanan and John Hughes for joining me earlier on on Coach's Corner. Uh, thanks, guys, for always uh, bringing your best. And again, to my special guests, Ian and Greg Martin, uh, co-founders of Quantix Golf and of course, my good friend, Byron Casper. Thanks, guys. Um, God bless everybody. I will see you. Stay safe for those of you along the Emerald Coast. Uh, Hurricane Delta is expected to hit, I believe, uh, later tomorrow. So if you're in uh, the Panhandle area along the Emerald Coast, right out over to Texas, uh, Louisiana, Mississippi, and so forth, uh, be safe out there. Listen to your local officials. Uh, we've had a lot of storms come through the Gulf of Mexico this year and up into that area. You've been hit too many times, um, so be smart about it. Uh, seek some higher ground. Uh, get out of the area if you can, and, uh, you know, uh, be safe. Um, and, again, uh, thanks, everybody. I will see you next week right here on Golf Talk Live. God bless, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this evening's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. Remember to tune in each week at blogtalkradio.com forward slash golftalklive. If you can't join us live, check out the on-demand section for previously aired broadcasts. Or listen on any of the following social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, 
TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course, Spotify. To get updates on future shows and upcoming guests, be sure to visit the show's Facebook page, Golf Talk Live Blog. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO. Remember to join me live each week for another great broadcast of Golf Talk Live. See you next time. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.